seats, Daniel 6. Daniel 6. Got a lot to cover tonight. It's one of those chapters where I thought about splitting it in half, but when you split it in half, you kind of lose the flow of it, and we definitely want to continue with the full flow of this. This is probably, argumentably, one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible, Daniel and the lion's den. Every now and then when we do devotions with the boys, I'll ask the boys, hey, what do you want to, what do you want to read about tonight? Inevitably, it's either Goliath getting killed or Daniel in the lion's den. So I don't know how many times I've read about Goliath getting killed and Daniel in the lion's den. So finally I reach a point of saying, guys, there's 66 books in the Bible. Let's pick something different. But they always go back to Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den. It's a great story. When I say that word story, I make it almost sound like it's this fable. It's an amazing thing when you stop and you think about it. And even when I was preparing the lesson... I looked at the notes as I printed off the paper and I made the copies of it. I started realizing we didn't even really talk about the lion's den part of it. This man gets thrown in the lion's den. At this time, he's at least in his mid-80s. And he's tossed into the lion's den and he comes out miraculously. And we almost have a tendency to skip over that because the point of him getting into it, actually him and the lion's den is such a small part of the story. Everything that happens behind the scenes to get him to that point is really what we're going to talk about tonight. So you need to remember this. A little bit of background. You can see at the top of your sheets, the Medes and Persians are now in charge. If you remember way back to our first prophecy chapter in Daniel, we talked about the statue and the head of gold, and we talked about the shoulders of silver, and we talked about how Babylon was going to be defeated by the Medes and the Persians, and that's exactly what happened. So now Daniel, who was taken as a slave, taken as a captive, and is probably mid-teens from Israel, has now been in Babylon for maybe pushing seven decades, and he's been an advisor to Babylon. When Babylon was defeated, he now becomes an advisor to the Medes and Persians. So you can see here the prophecy being fulfilled. We went from Babylon now to the Medes and the Persians, or back as it said in Daniel's dream, from gold to silver. Let's see what happens here. Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps may give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Just a little bit of background there. You can see how the Medes and the Persians rule. They cover a lot of areas, so they're going to have 120 little sub-governors, if you will. And then in verse 2, there's going to be three governors over those 120, and Daniel gets to be one of the three. And then what happens is Daniel does so good, verse 3, that they think about making him over everything. Well, guess what? Other Medes and Persians, they don't like this. Verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What an amazing verse. Now we have to stop there for a second. What we did here is you can see description of Daniel. Daniel is one of... The big guys in the Old Testament. In fact, if you're just wanting to look this up, it's in Ezekiel 14. In Ezekiel 14, God is speaking to Ezekiel, and he says that I'm going to judge Israel. He goes, I would even judge Israel even if Daniel, Job, and Noah were in there. Now, God comes out, and he puts Daniel at the upper echelon there. That's how highly God looked at Daniel. Daniel is an amazing man. And so we can look at Daniel, and if we look at how Daniel lived his life, it's easy for us to say this is how we should live our life. So what's the first thing you see about Daniel that's amazing? Verse 3, he has an excellent spirit. He's got a good attitude. I'm telling you right now, I've met people that are born again, saved in Christ, I firmly believe that, going to heaven for all of eternity, and they are really just a bad attitude person you don't want to be around. And I don't get that. 
I just read a devotional the other day, and it was so it hit me so hard. I called the family together, and we're all going to read this. And at the end, it very simply said, there should be no such thing as a grumpy Christian. Oh, I love that. And the whole point is, no matter what you're facing in life, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You have salvation in him for all of eternity. What else do you need? Well, you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't know what you're going through, but Jesus died for you. And see, and the whole point here with Daniel, he didn't have a bad attitude. If anybody should have had a bad attitude, shouldn't it have been Daniel? This kid was taken away from his family as an early teen. He was forced away from his God, his religion, his family. Now seven plus decades living as a slave. No, he had an excellent attitude. So what happens? The Babylonians leave, and guess who comes in? The Medes and the Persians. Does Daniel have any more freedom, any more whatever? No. New boss, just like the old boss. So what happens, though? He has an excellent spirit. Can you imagine if the unbelieving world would come up to you and say, hey, what's the way you would describe me? If they would say, wow, you have an excellent spirit. What a compliment. Just take a quick gut check. Look at yourself in the spiritual mirror. How's your attitude? Daniel, excellent spirit. Next thing you see about him, verse 4, they could not find charge against him. He was blameless. These people were looking to find something to, to say something about, and they can't. I call this Teflon Christianity. Nothing sticks to you. Nothing. Can you imagine someone following you around a day, a week, a month, and then walking away saying, I can't say one bad thing about them. Well, if someone followed me around for five minutes, they could find something. Daniel here, blameless. They could not find charge or fault against him. And I've heard it said many different ways by many different pastors, and the whole point comes down to this. If that idea of there's enough evidence in your life to show that you're a Christian. And really stop and think about it. If people would just look at your life, the way you live, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you just live, would they see Christ living inside of you? Daniel, they could find no charge or fault against him. Think about that next time you go to work. Can you go 8, 9, 10, 11 hours with no one finding any charge or fault against you? That's difficult. Next thing, verse 5, he's genuine. Look at this phrase in verse 5. These men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. I tried to find what the antonym for the word hypocrite is. Couldn't find one. The best word I could come up with was genuine. Daniel was the real deal. Real deal. So much so they said, we can't find anything against this guy. Once again, put yourself in this position. Someone looking at your life and saying, I can't find one thing to say negative about him or her. That is an amazing statement. This is Daniel, mid-80s, now has lived his life under two regimes as a slave, excellent spirit, he's blameless, he's genuine. What an amazing witness this man is. So you can see why in Ezekiel 14, God kind of elevated Daniel maybe up a hair or two. This guy is amazing. Let's see what happens, verse 6. So these governors and satraps thrown before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, obviously, this sounds good. All his sub-officials are coming up to him and saying, King, we got this great idea. We want to make a rule. Here's the rule. No one, no one can, can pray or petition anybody, any God or man except you because that's how amazing and wonderful you are. Now, did you note the little lie here in verse 7? 
all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors have consulted together. Somehow I don't think Daniel signed off on it. That's the way it was presented. Now, seriously, we used to say this as kids, and we hear it when our kids say it, and we even say it as adults. Well, everybody's doing it. There's always one Daniel that's not. And sometimes that one Daniel is you. Sometimes that one Daniel is your child. And I have heard parents say this. You're right. Everybody is doing it except for you. Everybody will be doing it except for you. You know how hard that is to be the one Daniel? It is difficult. There's no way around that. But that's what Daniel is. He's the one that does not bow down. He's the one that does not give in. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his window open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. And the men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Next attribute about Daniel we need to talk about is his faith. This man was faithful in prayer. Now note I used the word faith. I did not use the word religious. There's many religions out in the world that are very religious. There are very religious people that pray at certain times each day, doing things, etc. And there's not a relationship with God in any way whatsoever. It is a religious mindset. Daniel here was a man of faith. Isn't it fascinating that they knew the way to get to Daniel through God. They couldn't bribe him. They couldn't intimidate him. They couldn't peer pressure him. They knew they'd have to get him through God. And isn't it fascinating? Daniel prays, verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying. How did they find Daniel praying? Because they knew he was going to. They just didn't happen to walk by and say, hey, look, there's Daniel praying. They knew. They knew what time he prayed because this man was a man of faith. He was consistent. This man had a walk and a relationship with God, and these people knew it, and they saw that. Now, once again, God check, take a look at yourself. If you went up to somebody, and let's even say a non-believer that is around you, they work with you, maybe they live with you, they know you, and you would say, hey, how genuine is my faith? How consistent is my faith? What would they say? Daniel was a genuine man of God that they saw and they knew it, and they knew they could catch him in prayer because he was a man of prayer. Now, the opposite of this is James 1. Can you turn with me to James 1 real quick? Because I hate to say it, we probably fall more under James 1 than we do Daniel 6. James 1, please. Daniel is this man with an excellent attitude. He's blameless. He's genuine. He has a man of faith. He's consistent. These people knew it. They couldn't find any charge against him. What's the opposite of this? Look at James 1. Let's go ahead and pick it up here in uh, verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Pretty straightforward. Let him ask in faith, verse 6, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 8, it goes on to call him a double-minded man. Boy, how many times do we see that? How many times do we see somebody who is not consistent in their walk and relationship with Christ? Now, if you catch them on a good season of life, yeah, they're going to church, yeah, they're serving, yeah, they're in the Word, yeah, they're in prayer, yeah, they're talking about God. Jump ahead six months, where's the consistency? Ah, oh, well, life's busy. Or, you know what, my life has been so difficult right now. You know, and I'm not being mean, I've seen it in the 12 years I've been out here. I've seen people when God is good, oh, they love the Lord. As soon as their life faces difficulty... They give up on church, they give up on prayer, they give up on God, because why? Because they're not consistent, they're not solid, they're like a person in the wave. They go up and they go down, driven by whatever life brings them. Life brings them good stuff, amen, I'll see you at church. Life brings them difficulties, 
Where'd they go? There's no root in the Lord. Daniel was a man of consistency in the Lord. This man had been through a lot, no doubt about that. And what did he do? He stayed faithful to God. So what did Daniel do in Daniel 6 when he found out this rule happened? Did he decide he needs to try to escape? Did he decide that he needs to fight back? Once again, there's that Hollywood version of Daniel, a man in his mid-80s would go all Clint Eastwood on somebody and take out the Medes and the Persians, and next thing you know, he sets up a theocracy. No, what did this man do to fight back? He just prayed. Isn't that fascinating? He just continued on with his life, and he prayed. I heard a pastor say this one time, and I'm not trying to get into politics or anything, but somebody asked this pastor, saying, what are you going to do when the nation comes or the government comes, and it doesn't matter what country you live in, but when the government comes and says, you can't do these things the Bible says. He goes, I'm going to do what Daniel did in Daniel 6. I'll just keep doing it. And that's exactly what Daniel did. You are not allowed to pray. No, I'm going to keep praying. Oh, that's against the law. Obey God rather than man. There's going to be consequences. Yeah, there are. See, here's the thing about this story. He gets thrown in the lion's den. There are consequences to his actions. This is not a miraculous story of God saved him from trials and tribulations. He went through a trial and tribulation. Yes, the Lord got him through it, but the God did not save him from a trial and tribulation. See, so often when something happens in our life, we start saying, God will save us from this. Yes, sometimes he saves us from it by actually having us go through it. And then you walk out the other end stronger. Daniel got thrown into the lion's den, verse 12, and they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree? that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decrees that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. I want to stop there real quick. That phrase... That Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, you can look there at the, path, at the middle of the sheet there, they were never going to let Daniel forget who he was. This man had become, as best as we can figure here, almost second in charge of the kingdom. If he was that good, where Darius is actually thinking about putting him over everything, he's almost second in charge of the entire kingdom. And who is he? He is a Jew. He's not a Mede. He's not a Persian. He is a Jewish man that served the Babylonians. That's in his mid-80s. Isn't it time for him to go? That Daniel, who was one of the captives, I saw that phrase and I kept thinking, do you not know people that will never let you forget your past? Hey, maybe you made some bad choices in life. Maybe you weren't walking with the Lord real strong. Maybe you weren't walking with the Lord at all. And so the person you were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago is not the person you are now. But when they see you, you're still that Daniel, one of the captives from the past. People come and they talk about that, how they, they can't, people won't let go of their past. And I always say that's part of your greatest witness. And we've shared this before. In the book of Revelation, it talks about how Jesus, through all of eternity, talks about him being the lamb that was slain. And some people feel that Jesus will carry the scars of eternity through all of eternity, I should say, the scars of the cross. And isn't it amazing what we do in our life today? We get a scar, and what's the first thing we try to do? We try to cover it up. Jesus says, no, I'm not covering up these scars for all of eternity. So those scars that we try to hide, Jesus says, I actually will be seeing in heaven. And how many times in life have you made a bad decision which leaves you scarred, leaves you emotionally, spiritually scarred? So what do you try to do? You try to hide it. Try to hide who you were. You try to hide the choices you made. But really God says, listen, don't glorify your past, but realize those choices you made in the past that scar you now are part of your light and your witness now. Listen to what Paul said about this. I'm going to read Philippians 3.12 there. Just listen up. 
He goes, not that I've already obtained, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of the for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Paul says, listen, I'm not perfect, but I keep moving forward. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul says, I forget the past and I move forward in Christ. Now we all know Paul's past. He used to round up Christians and have them killed. I heard a pastor say one time, he goes, don't you think every time Paul went to go share the gospel that the enemy whispered in his ears, he used to kill these people, he used to murder these people, he used to slaughter these people. Paul had to work past his past. So I don't know what past you brought in here today, and maybe people won't let you move past the past. And you're Daniel, that captive from Judah. God says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that is. Let's just take a break here for a second because we've gone through a lot. So we're stopping at verse 13 for one second. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about what we've covered thus far? Yeah, Ryan. My personal opinion, first thing about what you said about Daniel having anything negative said about him, as far as I know, nothing's negative said about Daniel. I also believe Joseph may fit into that category. For a lot of people look at Joseph as a picture of Jesus as all too. Obviously, Daniel and Joseph were sinful men, but yeah, there's not a lot recorded about them, so valid point there. The purpose of the 30 days, my personal opinion is, I think they picked 30 days because they knew Daniel well enough to know we don't need a lot of time. Within 30 days, this guy's going to pray. So I don't think they needed to make it for six months, a year, or whatever. I think they just picked 30 days and kind of went from there. Right. Well, one thing I will say, if you study out history a little bit, Babylon was a dictatorship. Medes and the Persians were not a dictatorship. You can see here by even looking in verses 1, 2, and 3, the Medes and the Persians started spreading out rule and government a little bit more. I'm not saying they're a democracy nor a republic by any means, but they did do things a little bit differently there than what the Babylon did. That's a good question. Yeah, John. Yeah, right. The only thing I'll say about Job is, and we're opening a can of worms here a little bit, it, it seems like, though, when you get to the end of Job, God kind of gets on him a little bit for maybe a little bit of pride. Of, of You know, you were so prideful to say, I'm not doing anything wrong. So as long as you have boils and lose your family, you're allowed to be that way. Okay, I see what you're saying there. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Beaten, yeah, at least three times, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, that's true. That was post-conversion, yeah. Yeah, when you stop and look at his life there. But the Job thing is interesting. It really is. So study that out and see. I'm open to opinions on that. Yeah, Jeff. Right. That's a valid point. If the law wasn't good, you can rechange it in 30 days then. That's a valid point. Maybe I'll have anything I want to say before we move on. But let's see what happens here. Verse, uh, we stopped at verse 13. They predicted the king. Verse 14, the king said, When he heard these words, he was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, but as the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continually, will deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lord. And the purpose, excuse me, the purpose concerning Daniel may not be changed. I just want to make a very obvious point here, and I'm not trying to belittle this. He got thrown into the lion's den. I just want to make sure this point comes across. We know he makes it, yes. But in life, you will be thrown in the lion's den. It will happen. Some of you may be in the lion's den right now. Now, too often in Christianity, we keep thinking, well, God, since I'm a child of God, he will save me from the lion's den. Sometimes he just keeps you safe through the lion's den. We've seen this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God didn't keep them out of the fiery furnace. He protected them through the fiery furnace. We were just talking about Job. Job was not saved from problems and despair and death and discouragement. But God got Job through it. And just also Paul just got brought up. 
Paul did not live a peaceable life after he got saved, but God got him through it. I think what happens sometimes as Christians, we always make the assumption, God will save me from the lion's den. No, God gets you through the lion's den. This 80-some-year-old man, and I don't want to dramatize this, he was thrown into a bunch of lions. It was probably dark and damp and dingy. He got thrown in there, and that's exactly where God wanted him. Verse 18, now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king rose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, I think verse 20 is important. Why did God allow Daniel to go into the lion's den? Because this is a moment for God to shine. You can look at the end of your notes there. I put the question down. Why does God allow Job moments? Because when you make it through a Job moment, through the Lord's strength, your witness and testimony is amazing. The Christians I respect the most are the ones that have been through Job moments in life. And they still come out blameless, with a good attitude, genuine, faithful, and consistent. I look at those people and I say, wow, what a witness and what a testimony that is. Now, granted, we've all been through Job moments. Some of us have come out good. Some of us have come out like whiny little brats. And it all happens. God got you through it, but some of us didn't grow through it. See, and that's the thing here. This is a witness and testimony, verse 20, to Darius. Now, does Darius get saved out of this? I don't know. I'll go out on a limb and say Nebuchadnezzar was saved. I'm pretty sure about that. When you read the rest of Daniel 6, it sure looks like Darius was saved. We know from studying out history here in Ezekiel, we know that the Medes and Persians were very sympathetic to the Israelites, to the Jews. They actually sent the Jews back to Jerusalem and said, rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple, and we'll give you materials. So God actually used the Medes and the Persians in a very good way. Was it because their leadership got saved? I can't say for sure. But I know in verse 20 what a witness that is. So the next time you're in a situation in life and you're standing at the edge of the lion's den, we always pray, Lord, keep me out of the lion's den. Lord, what a wonderful witness it would be if you keep me out of the lion's den. Sometimes God says, what a wonderful witness it will be if you go through the lion's den. And I'm not saying right now that's fun, and I'm not, not saying that it's easy. But look at this last verse here we put down, 2 Corinthians 3, 2. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. One translation puts it like this. You are an open book known and read by all men. When you claim Christ as your Savior, when you go into work, when you go into home, to school, wherever it is, you are a book that people are watching and reading all the time to see if your faith is genuine. And when you go through the lion's den and it shows you make it through it, shows your genuine faith. Verse 21, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, king, I've done no wrong before you. Now, it's easy to look at verse 22 and say, well, yeah, it was easy for Daniel to have faith. There's no hint here that Daniel knew this is what was going to happen. Verse 23, Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Verse 24, And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives, and their lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So before you want to make some example here of, well, the lions weren't that hungry, or you want to make some example of who wants to eat an 80-year-old man, obviously the lions want something. Now, it's easy to look at verse 24, and it's easy to say, okay, I can handle the men being thrown in there, but there's a phrase there of children 
and wives. That's a tough thing. Now, you've got to remember, just because the children, wives were thrown in there does not mean that's exactly what the Lord wanted. This is a response, possibly, of a king that saw rebellion in his kingdom and saw that his own leadership and government officials were trying to pull one over on him. And so, therefore, he said the best way to handle this little serp of authority is to nip this thing in the bud right now. So, you can try to make a spiritual point out of this, of those people represented sin, etc. I'm going to be perfectly honest. You can disagree. I don't necessarily see that. I see Darius, a pagan king, a king that I don't know was saved or not. He says, these people try to rebel against me. I'm just taking them all out because therefore there was an issue and there was a problem there. So, What's the big point, though, here is verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one who shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Sirius. Cyrus, excuse me, the Persian. Some of you maybe say, well, okay, well, look at what he says here in verses 26 and 27. Obviously, this guy knew the Lord. Jump back, and you don't have to literally do it, but if you jump back and read what Nebuchadnezzar said at the end of Daniel 2 in Daniel 3, it sounded good too. At the end of Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar basically comes out and says, you have to worship God. If you don't worship God, I'm going to cut you into pieces. So just because they're saying facts does not necessarily mean that they have faith. That's the point we have to say. I know guys that come up to me, and they say many godly facts about I believe in God. I believe in the big man upstairs. Oh, I know there's a heaven. I know what Jesus did for me. Oh, I know that Bible's true. Hey, you got the facts down, but where's the faith? So just because someone is saying the right things in verses 26 and 27 doesn't make their relationship with the Lord right. To be perfectly honest, I think with God in Daniel 1, 2, 3, and 4, he wanted us to see how Nebuchadnezzar came to truly be saved. Here in Daniel 6, God does not spend a lot of time on uh, Darius to see where he came with the Lord I don't know what happens to him, and when we get to heaven, maybe Darius is up there. I hope he is. But the main point of this lesson is this description of Daniel. Just, just listen to these five points one more time. Excellent attitude, blameless, genuine, a man of faith, a consistent man of faith. And just remember, he was thrown in the lion's den. And so right now, some of you are facing lion's den situations in life, and part of you may be saying, God, why aren't you getting me out of this? Maybe he's not going to get you out of it. Maybe he's just going to get you through it. That's exactly what he did with Daniel. An amazing chapter there in Daniel 6. And you see the witness of Daniel as he got through it. And wow, what a powerful thing that was. Anybody have any quick questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? Yeah, John. Oh, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Yeah. I don't know how many lions there were, but one angel could take care of it. Yeah. Anybody else have anything Heather want to say before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we could be a Daniel. Lord, help us to truly live a life. I loved what that devotional said. No more grumpy Christians, Lord. Help us to have that excellent spirit in you to be consistent, a man and woman of faith, growing, going deeper in you no matter the situation. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that is in a lion's den moment, show them that you will get them through it. You will. And thank you for just your grace, your love, your mercy. Thank you for these godly examples of people from the Old Testament. And Lord, help us to remember in the midst of the lion's den our witness that we want to truly shine. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.